This year, our theme is grow. Be intentional. Uh, because we know that discipleship is all about being intentional. No one accidentally grows spiritually. You have to be intentional about your spiritual growth. Uh, we talked about spiritual growth being intentional. Steve Kennard got us started off the year. He talked about how the spiritual disciplines uh, basically has to be an intentional part of our walk with God. You can't just uh, hope to have a prayer life. You've got to work towards having an active prayer life. Uh, you got to pick up your Bible and read it. Uh, you got to be deliberate about these things. Surrender. All these different things that we talked about uh, are all intentional. And uh, we started off talking, uh, we looked at 1 Peter, you know, when Peter encouraged the church in his second letter to grow intentionally, encouraged them to grow. In his first letter during the reign of Nero, uh, he wanted to encourage the disciples to stay faithful to God. They had to, they had to hang in there. You know, times were really rough for the young church, and they needed a lot of encouragement. And Peter's encouragement was stay focused on Jesus. Take this as an opportunity to grow in your faith. And so in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who calls us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us every His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness. And then he goes on and gives us a, a list of things that would be good to add to our faith. So Peter encouraged the church to become more like Jesus. He said, that's how you're going to get through these hard times. It's not asking God to take things away. It's becoming more like Jesus. When Jesus went to, Je to God to ask him to take away the cross, what did God do? He strengthened him, right? The angels came, they aided Jesus, but then he went on and he died on the cross. So if you're asking God to take something away from you that's challenging, chances are he's not. Because he wants you to become stronger than the challenge. Remember Romans 8? What does Romans 8 say? We are what? More than conquerors. That means we are to conquer things. We can't be a conqueror if God removes every obstacle. You can't be a conqueror if God takes away every trial. You can't be a conqueror if God takes away all the things that causes us to stumble. So we're to be more than conquerors, then we have to learn how to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus conquered the world. Amen? You know, I like this word become. It means to turn into, grow into, turn out to be, develop, convert. You know, it's like this little seedling you see here. It had to start somewhere. And then it becomes a plant. But everything starts with a seed. Like with all of us, we start with a seed of faith that's been planted in us by someone. Someone planted a seed of faith in you. And God made it grow. But it has to start somewhere. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to gradually become more like Jesus. Now here's the thing, guys. 
this takes time. And we live in a microwave society. We don't want to wait for anything. Starbucks used to make you wait online for their coffee. Now you get an app on your phone. You can order it, go there, pick it up. Why? Because people don't like to wait. When you're on the grocery line, we used to have to wait on the, li- on the grocery line. Now there's self-checkout. Because they got tired of their, their, their cashiers being yelled at and speed up, you know, hurry up. I mean, for most of us, I know when I was a single guy, my refrigerator was stocked with microwave food. Put it in there, two minutes, it's done. Right? You can't do that to your faith. You can't microwave your character. You have to become, and that is a process. That takes time. Yeah, I love this quote by Bill Hull. He says, the formation of character into Christ can't be hurried. It is slow work, and it can get very messy. People fail, delay, make mistakes, resist, and are afraid. It is slow work, so it can't be hurried. But it is an urgent work, so it cannot be delayed. In America, slow and urgent are not compatible. They cancel each other out, but in the kingdom, patience and urgency are yoked together. Think about that. You know, when we're helping someone come to Christ, we need to be patient as people repent, as people change and work on the things that we're calling them to do. But yet we're still urgent about repentance. Does that make sense? We're not rushing them to get ready, but we are patient, but we're still urgent. Look, you still got to take this seriously. And so even though you can't rush or force a Christ-likeness in your life, you still have to be urgent about it. Now this year, we're intentionally working on a few of the disciplines. Prayer. We started off the year talking about prayer. In Isaiah 56, verse 7, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. We still encourage people to pray with one another, pray together. Uh, We try to make this a habit in our discipling times to pray with the couples that we disciple. Um, Bible study, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God. I mean, think about that. That's That's a high calling right there. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. How would God rate your, your Bible knowledge today? I mean, this is something that we got to take it, we got to take seriously, right? A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. If that, if we're expected to correctly handle the word of truth, then that means that there are people who are incorrectly handling the word of truth. But how do you know they are? Unless you know your Bible, right? So we got to be intentional about that. Meditation. Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. The psalm writer wanted his meditation to be pleasing to God. Fasting. We all love that one, right? Matthew 6, 17. But when you fast, it was an expectation of disciples to fast. That's a part of our discipleship, right? Uh, We talked about surrender. 
Then he said to them all, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, surrender, denying yourself is at the foundation of surrender. It's denying our will to see God's will done in our lives. And then we talk about worship. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Now here's the thing. No one grows alone. If you're going to grow this year, you've got to have someone in your life that's help holding you accountable to these things. That's helping you along with these things. You know, if you're, if you're trying to grow in your Bible study, then you need somebody that's going to help you understand those challenging scriptures. That can hopefully bring some insight. Someone who's a little more ahead of you uh, spiritually. Someone who knows their Bible well enough to be able to bring you to some clarity in the scriptures. You know, I always have questions about scriptures. I don't just skip over them. I ask somebody who, who knows their Bible better than I do. And it's usually Steve Kennard. I'll go to him with some with questions. And what I love about Steve is that he doesn't give you the answer. He points you in the right direction and encourages you to dig for yourself. That way, you learn how to search for the answers on your own. If someone just gives, gives you all the answers every time you have a question, you'll never grow. And so you need somebody in your life who can point you in the right direction and say, okay, now what does that say to you? How do you get there? This is how I got there. There's a concordance in the back of your Bible. Most of us have electronic Bible apps. There's free software on the internet. There's no excuse to not be in our Bibles. And if you have a question, there are a lot of people here who can at least get you in the right direction. Amen? You need somebody in your life that's going to help you grow, hold you accountable to the promise that you make and to whatever it is you're working on. You know, sometimes we think that we need more programs, we need more devotionals, we need more this, we need more that. There was a, a, a case study done by a church, uh, the Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois. And I love this, this, uh, this illustration right here because what they did was they basically took an, an evaluation. They evaluated themselves and they evaluated a bunch of churches in the area to see what led to spiritual growth within the church. Were they really becoming like Jesus? And right here it says, uh, a courageous self-study called Reveal, which analyzes church and six others to determine whether their programs were actually producing life change. Their conclusion from the reports of their own people is that participation in church programming does not affect significant change beyond conversion. They concluded that teaching on the practice of the discipline alone is not enough. So all those lessons that we've been talking about every Sunday is not enough. And here's the conclusion. There needs to be deep community and coaching and mentoring relationships with those more experienced in the Christian life so that people are trained in how the disciples result in life change. We need training. Jesus didn't just call people to follow him. He called them to follow him and then he trained them. 
He spent three years pouring his life into the apostles so that they would be ready to take it on, take on the gospel to the next generation and to those who needed it. And then once the apostles converted, then they trained them and then so on and so on and so on. Who are you training and who are you being trained by? None of us should be a dead-end disciple. You guys know what that means? The training stops with you. That's not discipleship. A disciple receives and then gives. Receives and then gives. Someone is training me, therefore I must train someone else. Now you may be like, well, James, I'm not really good at teaching. Who is? And if you think that you're an awesome teacher, you need more training. Because we're always learning. The very core of the word disciple is student. You're always learning. So you're never at a point in your discipleship where you've arrived so much so you don't need anybody to teach you anything. I don't care how long. I'm still learning. And if you have responsibility over others, you definitely need someone training you. Here's the, here's the scenario. If we have a church full of dead-end Christians, then that's exactly what the church is, a dead-end. Have you ever tried to drive down a dead-end street? You can't go anywhere. So what do you need to do? You need to repent. Turn around and go back the other way, right? Because if you run into a dead end, you can't go anywhere. You don't want that to be said of your discipleship. We all need to be, and here's the thing, if you really want to change in this, then you need to ask God to give you someone to train. That's how you know you're really ready to repent in this area. And God will give you exactly the person you need to pour yourself into. Because the only way for us to grow as a church is we got to train each other. we got to help each other. Amen? So, do you have a plan for your spiritual growth? Do you have a plan for your spiritual growth? Anyone that wants to advance in their life has a plan to do so. Someone wants to buy a home, they come up with a plan. Someone wants to advance in their career, they come up with a plan. Someone wants to get married, they come up with a plan. Someone wants to stay married, they come up with a plan. You gotta have a plan. You wanna have kids? You gotta plan for it. You're trying to lose weight? You gotta plan for it. You're trying to get out of debt? You gotta plan for it. You want to grow in your spiritual life? You've got to plan for it. You've got to have a plan. Amen? The stronger we are spiritually, the stronger the church will be. The stronger we are spiritually, the stronger the church will be. Amen? The church does not stop at James and Zalika. The church is everybody. And the healthier we are as a church, the healthier our communities will be because they have a healthy church showing them how to be like Jesus. Amen? So growth is not an option. So let me give you two quick ways, two things you want to do if you want to grow. You need truth and honesty. You need truth and honesty. You got to get honest about where you're at spiritually before you can go anywhere. 
If someone wants to get out of debt, they got to sit down and look at the ugly truth. I'm undisciplined. I'm spending more than I'm making. Whatever that truth is, you've got to accept that and you got to deal with it. You can't blame anybody else. You've got to embrace it. So where you are spiritually, you've got to embrace it. If you're doing great spiritually, amen, praise God, thank everybody that helped you get there, and thank Jesus. But if you're not where you want to be spiritually, then you've got to be honest about that. You know what? I don't read my Bible as often as I need to. I'm not praying as, as often as I need to. My, my, my evangelism is non-existent. You got to get honest about that because if you can't, if you don't get honest, then you're just going to repeat the same bad habits and nothing's going to change. In John 8:31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you continue in my word, you're really my disciple." See, they were men who were not open to the truth that Jesus spoke. So these men did not grow. He said, the ones that respond to my word are really my disciples who hold to my word. See, the truth is not always easy to hear. And that's just the honest truth, right? It's not always easy to hear. James says it's like looking into a mirror. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because then you're deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and, and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his face, his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and per- perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good. This person will be blessed in what he does. Most of the time, we're looking in the mirror to find imperfections, right? Before you leave the house, you want to make sure there's no curl out of place, there's nothing hanging in your nose, there's nothing in your teeth, your makeup is all right, you got the right shade, you know, your hairline is all right for the brothers. I mean, we look into the mirror for a reason before we leave. We want to make sure we look all right. We're looking for the things that are wrong, the things that need to change. So part of reading our Bibles is also looking at what's not like Jesus. Because the Bible will reflect, if we're honest, where we need to grow and be like Jesus. Now when I read my Bible, all the scriptures about selfishness jumps out off the page. And I, I try to dance around it, but you can't escape it. And no matter how much you serve, you still got to deal with you. And here's the good thing about it. God doesn't just show us the ugly. He shows us what we can become when we become doers instead of just hearers. He shows us the ugly side, but then he shows us the beautiful side. I mean, he shows us the before cross Peter, and then he shows us the after cross Peter. He shows us the before, before Jesus Paul, and then he shows us the after Paul. You get what I'm saying? There's always a before and after, and God reveals the ugly so that he can encourage and inspire us with the beautiful. And that's what we see when we look into the Word of God. Do you want to make the changes you need to to grow? In Psalm 141, verse 5, it says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. So 
sometimes some of us spend most of our Christian life avoiding being rebuked. Because rebuke is a nasty word. It's a bad word. And you know what? It's our fault that it is. I don't think rebuke, I don't think God intended rebuke to be a bad word at all. When you correct a child that runs before they run into the street without looking, and you call that child back, is that a bad thing? No. That's what rebuke is. But I think some of us sometimes, you know, throughout our, our, our time in the church, we get some people who are a little uh, overzealous when it comes to this word and really ruined it for a lot of us so that we don't look at it as a righteous man striking me. We look at it as a mean person striking me. We look at it as somebody who, who, who's, who's arrogant, whose inflated ego is speaking, and, and we don't hear the goodness that's coming from that person because of how they're talking to us. You can, I, you know, the most powerful rebukes that I've received did not come with yelling and screaming. Came with a smile and a piercing truth. I remember one disciple in time, I got rebuked, and I didn't even know I got rebuked until after I walked away. He's like, yeah, I just got rebuked. That's how you do it. I mean, you know, brother was like, point pointed out, you know, James, you never say sorry, man. And he, he laughed as he was saying it. And I was like, I get that. Uh, what? Huh? Wow, you know what? You're right. Like, I can't remember. And this is, you know, when Zalik and I were dating, I would say amen. Now, I try to spiritualize everything. So when I, when I was wrong, instead of saying I'm sorry, I would say amen. You're right, amen. You know. But so we need to hear I'm sorry, especially if this is someone you plan to spend the rest of your life with. She don't want to hear no amen, bro, amen, sis. She wanted to say I'm sorry. And I walked away from that time thinking, wow, you know, that dude was nice and how I'm like, I like how he rebuked. But I didn't know I got rebuked until after. And so I think we got to take back this word and apply it to our lives and seek it. Because if you are doing something wrong, you want someone to be like, hey, you're going the wrong way. Or hey, you're going about this the wrong way. Because rebuke comes from love and righteousness. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The slugger craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You know, we want to see obstacles moved in our lives. We want to see change. But are you really willing to put in the work and effort it's going to take to get there? You know, it's lazy. And they, this, this is the Bible. Now, I use lazy. The Bible says slugger. I don't know which one is worse. I don't want to be called a slugger. But it's lazy to want something and not work for it. Is what this is saying. You crave it and you won't get anything. Because all you do is talk, oh man, I want to change. I want to this. I want to grow. I want to. And you're not doing anything about it. That's why you need a plan. Because it's the desires of the diligent who work hard at changing. They see the urgency and then they put a plan in motion. And they grow. 
whether it's one day at a time. And look, again, guys, when Jesus comes, that's when it's over. So you'll be working on these things for the rest of your life, okay? But we still got to be urgent about it. But it's not enough to just sit down and really, 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 really want to change. No, you got to work at it. You got to be deliberate about it. Otherwise, you're just going to be a guy sitting on the couch, hoping and praying something changes. God is not a genie. He doesn't work that way. You get three wishes and you change something. That's not how it works. Now, I know sometimes, you know, you're like me, you work at something and you feel like, man, I can't get around this. I can't get around this. It doesn't, you know, it keeps happening. You know what that is? That's character. When you can't change something right away, that's part of your character. That's who you are. So that means that you constantly have to take that thing and clothe it with Christ. Just like you put your shirt on every day, just like you put your pants on, your shoes on, you clothe yourself. With character flaws, you got to clothe yourself with Christ every day to cover up whatever that flaw is. Now, there are things that we can change as a result of our character flaws a lot easier than we can change the summation of our habits. Habits are not easy to break, which is why they're called spiritual disciplines, because we have to work at them every day. You know what happens? The more you work at that thing, the less and less obvious it is. The less visible it is to others and even to yourself. It'll never go away because it's a part of who you are. But it gets covered in Christ. Amen? Does that make sense? The second thing I want to encourage us to do, if we want to grow, is we gotta we grow through trials and challenges. Now I know you were hoping for something a little easier. You got to, again, two words we need to take back. Trials and challenges. God doesn't see trials and challenges the same way we do. I think when we hear trials, we think a negative thing. When we hear challenges, we, really, we automatically go to the hard and, and the tough and, the, and the, you know, we go to the negative. But God does not use trials and challenges that way in our lives. Look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's encouraging right there. Shielded by God's power. That means that Satan can't do to you what God will not allow. In verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though for now... Though now, for a little while, you may have to have suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Can we park here for a little second? Do your troubles feel like it's going on for a little while? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Look, this is how God sees things. We see things in never 
things. But Peter is saying, look, a little while you may have had to suffer grief. Now, you know, these, the church was being persecuted under the rule of a cruel emperor. They're going through this hardship to them. It doesn't feel like a little while. A day feels like a week. A week feels like a month. A month feels like years when you're going through a trial, doesn't it? But we got to fight to keep a godly perspective when it comes to this because God looks at this as this is only, ha- this is only a little while. You, you, can, you can push through this. You can handle this. You're made of some tough stuff. And in verse 7 it says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, God will allow us to go through trials of many kinds so that we can grow. God does not waste suffering. God will use your suffering to inspire someone else. God will use your trials to inspire and encourage someone else while they're going through their trials. God doesn't waste a struggle. God will use your, your, your recovery from addiction, your recovery from, from, uh, from debt, or even your struggle while you're in the midst of it to inspire someone and encourage someone to persevere through their own. That's how God works. You know, we often grow more through our trials than through our victories. You can get a victory and it be short-lived. Think about Elijah. When Elijah was on the the mountain and he called down fire and he burned up the prophets of Baal. He, He made the prophets of Baal dance around, cut themselves in rocks and calling on their God and it didn't work. And Elijah said, all right, enough. And he prayed and God rained down fire, burned them all up. He had a great victory, but it was short lived. It was short-lived because Jezebel was like, I'm about to take you out. I'm going to kill you. And just like that, Elijah goes off running, finds a cave, and is depressed. Just like that. Victory right out the window. Peter, you are the Lord. You are the Savior. Keys of the kingdom. Next few verses, no, Lord, this will not happen. Get behind me say, what happened? Sometimes our spiritual victories are short-lived. But you never forget a tough time. When you've gone through some hard times, they just have that, it's like Velcro on your brain. It ain't going nowhere. And some of us to this day, Think back to where God brought us from. You remember those trials even more than you remember the victories, which is why we constantly have to be encouraged and brought back to what God has done. But when you blow it, you remember. And that's where the growth happens, when we allow God to shape us and shift us through these these times of trials. You know, our trials will often reveal who we really are in our core. It exposes who we are. James 1, 
says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you want to know why God doesn't answer your prayers, yes, sometimes, right there. Verse 4. Perseverance must finish its work. There's no shortcuts to faith. There's no shortcuts to growth. So you got to see it to the end in order to be mature, in order to grow. So God God will instead say, you know what? No, but I'll be with you through it. I'm not going to take it away, but I will walk with you every step of the way through this trial. And that's exactly what God does. So I'm not going to take it away because I got something in store for you. But before I can give that to you, you need to mature in this area. And there are a lot of blessings on hold for us right now that we can't really and truly appreciate until God refines a part of us that will receive it the way he intends us to receive it. You know, I think about a time in my life where I thought I was ready for marriage, and God was like, yeah, we got some things to work on. We got, we got some things to work on. So that you can truly appreciate, and I thought, well, you know I me, mean? you know, I'm thinking, man, why not now? But God had to work on some things. You know, there's different things in our lives we, we want. God, God, I'm ready for this. I really want this. And we fast and we pray and we beg. And God is like, you know, let's hold off on that for a minute because you got to work on your gratitude. Because if I give this, you may walk away from me. And so let me work on your, let me work on your gratitude through the job that you have right now. Because if you can show me you can still be grateful, even though you have a, a terrible boss, you're underpaid, you're overlooked, then I can give you that other thing. Because then I know I got your heart. We can't, God can't get our hearts then. And he blesses us. We've seen people walk away right after they got blessed by God. No shortcuts to faith. We got to persevere. It makes you tougher. It makes you stronger. It makes you who you want to become. Trials mature us, they mold us, and they shape us. So let me ask you guys a question. How can the spiritual disciplines prepare you for the trials that may come? How can the different spiritual disciplines, Bible study, prayer, meditation, surrender, fasting, worship, how can they prepare us for the trials that will come? muscles. So when the bigger trials come, you'll be able to handle it. I love that. Because you want to be 
be strong enough to handle the big ones, right? Okay. Sundays in the rain. There are people running. In the rain. Some people looking at the forecast, I ain't going to church today. It's raining. And you got people running in the rain. I'm like, you can't, that's dedication. That's discipline. That's discipline that even though the outside circumstances are different and challenging, it's not going to change who I am and what I do. That's what, that's what helps prepare us for those trials of many kinds. If you're not in your word, then what are you going to stand on? If you're not praying and relying on God when a trial comes, what, what's, what, what's going to keep you upright? And then there are those times where we just need to humble ourselves out through fasting. And I mean real fasting, like denying yourself something that you need, not just newspapers or, or social media. I'm like, I need food. I got to deny myself food. If I'm going to really humble myself, I need to take a meal or two away and really get focused on God. But I mean really, like, what, what's, what's preparing us? And we got to think about, God wants us to think about that because there are storms that will come. Storms in your marriage, storms with your kids, storms on your job, storms in your immediate family. I tell you, when I went through that storm with my family, I'm like, I thank God I had the Bible. I thank God for brothers and sisters in my life because I'm thinking, man, how else? And it was totally unexpected. Totally unexpected. Sometimes we get blindsided by our trials. And the only way for us to stay upright is that we have to be disciplined. And we got to be prepared spiritually. Working those spiritual muscles so that our faith can withstand whatever Satan throws at us. When we're not in the storm, you know, it's a funny thing that happens. When we're not going through our storm and our trials, we know how to help other people through theirs, right? Oh, bro, bro, here's what you do. I had this quiet time. Read this, pray for this many hours, and, and, and you'll be all right. You'll get through it. But when we're in our own storm, for some reason, all that Bible we read goes right out the window. We can't remember a verse. When it comes down to praying, all we can say is, our Father, amen. I mean, you know, just recently I'm going through something and I'm like, man, I cannot get out of this funk. And, and it's like, James, you preach every Sunday. You read your Bible every day. You pray every day. But for some reason, I couldn't pull myself out. 
is why we need people in our lives that can say, hey, you're in a storm right now. Let me pull you out. Let me help you get out. But we need to be able to help people get out of those storms. Where do you go emotionally? Where do you go spiritually? Where do you go physically when you face your trials? The answers to that will tell you how prepared you are for the next trial. If you retreat, if you go in your cave and you stay there, if physically you check out, then you got some work to do. Now I'm not saying that you can't, Jesus often retreated to a lonely place, but he did that to reconnect with God. He didn't run away from God. He didn't run away from the people that can help him. We often need that time, and that's actually a spiritual discipline we hopefully will look at this year, is, is solitude. Because you need time to really reconnect and refocus and shut everything else down so you can connect with God. Jesus often did that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some of us be like, hey, I need a break from everybody and everything so that I can grow. That doesn't even make sense. Right? So let me give you a challenge. And it's very easy. I think we all can do this. If you haven't done so already, choose a discipline to focus on. All right? Choose a discipline to focus on. If you need to take your prayer life higher, then focus on prayer. Bible study, you know. I'll get to that. Bible study, meditation, you know, you want to grow in fasting, you want to get, you know, become more humble uh, in that area. If you want to get better at your worship, do you need to surrender some things in your life to God? I mean, choose a discipline and focus on that for a while. Give yourself a little time to grow in it, but be intentional about it. Amen? And then create a growth plan for yourself. You know, I know some people, I know a bunch of brothers got together and they, 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 they started to read the Bible together in a year. And there are a lot of Bible plans that, that, that can help you with that. All you read a chapter or two a day, it's good as gravy. But it's a plan. And if you feel like, you know what, I need some accountability or I need someone to do it, then ask somebody, hey, let's, let's, read, let's read through a book of the Bible together. And let's talk. You know, they got book clubs. Start a Bible book club. Let's read through Colossians together and then talk about what we got out of it. Let's read through Ephesians together. Let's read through Revelation. Ooh. Let's read through Revelation together. I mean, pick something, but you got to have a plan. Do something. Um, start a prayer meditation group. That's a great way to connect with people. It doesn't have to be your, your house church. It can be outside. Whoever your friends are, hey, let's get together every Saturday or every other Saturday. Let's pray. We started doing that with the fathers a while back. You know, we would meet on Saturday. The men, we would go down by Riverbank. We would pray Saturday mornings. It doesn't have to be a large group. It can just be one or two of you, two or three of you, whatever. But you can do something. Create fast with somebody. I know it's encouraging when somebody else is suffering with you. <laughs> So you're not suffering alone. And then you know what you do? Is you go and you break bread together. Hey, let's fast on this. Well, we want to see God change. And then let's meet up and let's break our fast together. Another great way to build community, relationships, and growth. Create a list of things you want to surrender to God or resurrender to God. 
You know, some of us have started off surrendering everything to Jesus. That's what lordship is. Maybe we need to go back and reevaluate, okay, what has stopped being under the lordship of Christ in my life? I need to resurrender that to Jesus. Make a list of whatever those things are. Commit that to God. And here's a, this is something that I do frequently. I like to journal. And what that does for me is whenever I'm going through something or whenever I, I feel the need to pray and, and, you know, I'll journal and then I can always go back. Sometimes I'll go back a year and see where I was at a year from now and where I'm at now to see if there's been any growth. And to see, okay, well, what was I struggling with a year ago? How has that been? And where am I today? Do I still need to work on that? Have I seen any growth? And celebrate your progress. Celebrate the growth that God has produced in your life because you've got to have some good news. Amen? You know, we're not always bad all the time. Does that make sense? I mean, I know we have our moments, but you're not always bad all the time. You are growing. You are not the same person, or you shouldn't be the same person you were the day you got back or the day you were studying the Bible. You are a better person. You're stronger. You may not think it, but you are. And you need to thank God and give him the glory for the progress you made. I am not the same guy I was over 20 years ago. And i got to give God the glory for that. And so should you. But you know how it happened? You were praying. You were in your Bible. You were sharing your faith. You were serving. You were practicing the disciplines without even realizing it. And so if we want to grow, if we want to be intentional, let's be honest about where we're at right now. You don't have to stay. If you're not in a good place, you don't have to stay there. That's the good news. God can help you get out of whatever spiritual rut you're in. If God can help David, if God can help Paul, if God can turn the, 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 the king, who was the king for, uh, that, that uh, Job went, I mean not Job, um, uh, the guy was swallowed by the fish. See, I was testing y'all, y'all know your Bible. See, that's what I'm talking about, you know something, right? Jonah went to the king of the Ninevites. One message, a whole nation repented from one sermon. One sermon. And these were study of the Ninevites. These were cruel people. And they responded to God after one message. It doesn't have to take you a whole lifetime to change one thing. We just got to decide that we're going to change. We're going to grow. And we're going to move forward. Amen?